Welcome to the Judaism From Within podcast. My name is Similana. You know how someone can criticize a worldview? And even if that criticism is true, it's clearly coming from a place of ignorance and not fully appreciating the idea that they're insulting. The idea that I'm talking about in this context is communism, or the vision of Karl Marx. And his ideas are, and were, criticized, and with good reason. But to simply criticize, you lose sight of what made it attractive, what makes it attractive today. And if you can't appreciate why an idea is attractive, you don't understand why people want to hold it, and thereby you can't have a conversation. Because if you only know what you don't like about a system, you don't really have a genuine opinion. All you have is a bunch of negative data about a certain worldview. That is by no means the truth. And in this week's discussion, I want to point out some ideas that the Jewish tradition fits right in line with what Karl Marx wanted to achieve for humanity. Ideas that we can learn from, powerful principles about how we can approach the world that can improve our lives. And Hirsch, of course, goes on the attack at the dangers that are rooted in a Marxist vision of the future. It's interesting. To fit in line with what we're saying now, the place where Hirsch discusses the principles of communism is in Parshas Noach, where you have the Tower of Bovel and this ideal of the community being developed. And this was instituted by someone called Nimrod. He was known as a hunter, and our sages tell us that he hunted men. He, he captured their minds. And this really does fall in line, because communism was an idea. And like all ideas, they need people to hold them. It's a bit like a virus. Um, I think it was attributed to Carl Jung that people don't have ideas, but ideas have people. Meaning, an idea only stays alive as long as someone's holding onto it. And the question is, what can you offer to get people to hold on to the ideas? The bad things come along with it, but what is that attraction that people grasp it? And that's what we're going to discuss. The devastation that is the responsibility of Karl Marx. He also presented ideas that were attractive as part of his philosophy, critiques of society that were actually true. His solution, of course, was revolution and a bunch of other terrible things, but the problem which he pinpointed at times was very true. And in this week's parasha, we get a voice of this. In this week's parasha, Jacob, Israel, blesses his children, and each one of his children he gives a different blessing to. Once again, a beautiful appreciation of the diversity that Judaism is handing down to us. There is one child that is often given focus, or a pair of children. Yisochah and Zavulun. Zavulun was known as the merchants. Yisochah was known as the farmers. But from a traditional standpoint, Chazal, our sages of old, have always identified Yisochah with being the one who studies Tyra. In which case, we developed a certain cultural phenomena describing Yisochah as being the ones who study the Torah, and Zavulun being the ones who provide them with the means, money, to do it. So you have Yisochah Zavulun, a relationship. One gives the money, the other one takes the money and studies Tyra. The reason why this way of describing it in a black and white sort of way is, simply speaking, nonsensical, because the notion of study of Tyra can't be relegated to a select few. The very idea of Talmud Tyra, or the study of Tyra, is not simply reading a book. It is involving yourself in your Jewish mission. It is moral development, it is spiritual development, it is moving yourself along the Jewish story. 
Anyone who neglects Talmud Torah or the study of Torah, eventually their Jewish identity gets withered away. What holds you to your Jewish identity and your Jewish mission and your ability to reach moral perfection is your involvement in Talmud Torah, so it doesn't really make sense to pay someone to do it for you. That's not called moral development. If anything, it's the opposite. If you're paying someone to do it for you, the only way that would make sense is if somehow you felt that you were getting some sort of spiritual reward in the next world for the money you pay right now, which might be the case, but that only increases the narcissism. You only become a worse person because of the experience. So, stepping back, you have Yisachar Zavulun, the merchant and the ones who study Torah. Now, as I said, caricaturing like that, it really doesn't make sense for the reasons that I just mentioned. So what Rabbi Shamshirafal Hirsch does is he analyzes this son, Yisachar, and sees what the Pesukim, the Torah, tells us about this son and how that relates to the idea of Talmud Torah. But he doesn't look at it as a relationship. Of course, there is a way that this relationship can be articulated where there is an aspect of Talmud Torah that is put on Yisachar that Zavulun withholds from. But what we're going to do is discuss the cornerstone or the foundation of Yisachar and how that relates to the individual Jew. He looks at Yisachar as being the cornerstone or the heart of the Jewish people, an ideal or a way of looking at the world that we can all incorporate. And now we'll start to get the smell of Karl Marx, of ideas that he put down and why they were so attractive. So how does the Psukim describe this Yisachar? We've got the merchant, which was Zvulun. You've got the king, which was Yehuda. But Yisachar, the Psukim describe him as being a man who bears a burden, who works the land, a farmer. But then it adds something that's quite interesting. It said he loves leisure. He appreciates leisure. So you have this split. On the one hand, he's a beast of burden, if you will. He bears the burden of the land. But at the other side, he loves and appreciates leisure. He saw leisure as a good thing. And there's always a discussion of how do you square this circle? On the one side, he's described as someone who works super hard, and the other side, he's described as someone who appreciates leisure and the good life. Rav Hirsch's explanation about not only how to square this circle, of this almost contradiction within the same blessing, but also why this relates to the idea of Talmud Torah. For him, Yisachar represents the nucleus of the Jewish people. Yes, there are extremes on either end that are traders or rulers, but the nucleus of the Jewish people are farmers. But farmers in the symbolic sense. A farmer has leisure time. Leisure time is a time you're able to grow. Leisure time is a time you're able to study Tyre. It's one of those things that we look at leisure time as being a bad thing. If I'm not busy, if I'm not making something, somehow I'm not really being human. I'm somehow lacking as an individual. The message of Yisachar is that no, leisure time is good. Leisure time is a time you are able to work on the things that really matter. And this is where Karl Marx becomes interesting. His attraction was really on two fronts. One, the nature of the world today is that we have way too much excess, which means more people can spend time doing what they want to do rather than what they have to do. You have to work to provide to push off starvation, but in an ideal world, you would be doing things that you want to do. In his mind, it was spending time with friends or going fishing, but in a more religious context, it is a time you can really work 
on your religious identity. Work on things that make you into a better person. What I mean is that a farmer is able to wait. A farmer has leisure time by the fact of the profession that he has chosen. There isn't this constant striving. There isn't this constant desire to accumulate more. Putting it in a practical sense, a farmer grows. A farmer plants seeds and a farmer waits. There is leisure time that is built into his choice of profession. This is an ideal. Your job shouldn't be a constant striving for the accumulation of product or capital. There should be a cyclical aspect of your profession as well. What I mean cyclical, it means there is an aspect of pushing, but it should also be an aspect of waiting and staying and being, almost like a spiral. Not just pushing forward or just simply stagnating, but there should be a dynamic relationship between the work that you're doing and your ability to strive morally. That takes place in our time of leisure. So if you will, our first message from Karl Marx, which fits into the message of Yisachar here, is that leisure time is a good thing. You mix the means and the ends when you think your goal in life is to work. No, your goal in life is to do what you want to do. Be that leisure time or be that moral growth. Whatever you feel the goal of your life is should be facilitated by your work, not the other way round. Meaning we often say, well, I need a good holiday so I can get back to work. In an ideal sense, it should be the other way around. That's why Yisachar is looked at as the nucleus of the Jewish world. Because the way we look at our work, and I'm not talking about how much time you have to spend working. That may change depending on the individual. What I'm talking about is a mindset. Yisachar gives over the mindset that my work isn't my identity. This is a way that we actually relate to the Greeks more than we relate to the Christians. Both worldviews had a different way of expressing a work ethic. For the Christians, your work was part of your identity. Your work had to be meaningful. You will find people saying, I don't find my work meaningful and changing job, looking for meaning in their work. The message of Yisachar is that no, this son of Yaakov articulated that your work doesn't have to be meaningful if your life is meaningful because your work is a means to your life, not the other way round. The work shouldn't be your life. The work you do is more in line with the Greeks. The Greeks felt that you had to have a job because you had to make money, but ideally you would spend your time in more noble pursuits, like philosophy, philosophia, the love of wisdom, or with friends. That was their goal. Their goal wasn't, as we are today, sometimes so obsessed with our work life that that is our goal. The Greeks would laugh at us. Karl Marx described, in terms of his second attractive proposition, that we've made everything into a commodity. Everything about us becomes simply a commodity because we're so obsessed with making money. The example of the little prince, I don't know if you've read the book, there's a story that's for children that's been translated into many different languages, where you have a little prince who goes around the world to meet different people around the universe, and he meets someone counting stars. And he says to him, why are you counting stars? And he says, well, so I have lots of stars. And he says, well, when, when, when are you going to stop counting? Why, why, why do you need to carry on counting? You have lots. Well, he says, because then I can buy more stars. And this is a parody of a capitalist way of looking at the world. We sometimes lose the goal from the means to achieve that goal. And that's why Karl Marx and communism is, for some people, so attractive. 
because it tells us that ideas that we've made everything into a commodity, everything is just a potential piece of capital, influences how we look at other people, influences how we look at things, and there's a truth to that. So these two principles from Karl Marx, on the one side, the value of leisure being the goal, and the second idea of not making everything into a commodity, we see bound up in this Yesocha way of looking at the world. Yes, Yesocha worked. Yesocha worked hard. But it was the leisure that he saw as good. So to recap, Zvulun and Yesocha. Zvulun was the one who made the money. That's fine. Let's put that to one side. And once again, this diverse nature of the Jewish tradition and each different person finding his place in a diverse world that values the individual and the individual vocation is a message that is given first. But from the point of view of a nucleus, of a core, of way of even orientating how we should approach the work life and our religious mission, Yisocha gives that over. The caricature we often hear about this Yisocha-Zavulun relationship, a truth to it there is 100%, but the way it's often characterized doesn't do justice to either side. Rav Hirsch looks at Yisocha as being this nucleus because he works hard, he bears the burden, but he enjoys his leisure. For him, leisure was good because leisure was the thing that he was able to build up from this work. And that's why it's identified with Talmud Torah, because Talmud Torah is something you're able to achieve when you have peace of mind, when you can reflect, when you can recognize why you're doing it. The benefit from this philosophy of life, or looking at life through these lenses, is not that a person should be studying Torah all day, but it means how do you relate to your leisure time? Is it a positive thing or a negative thing? If it's a negative thing and it's there just to facilitate your work life, well then you'll do with it that which helps you facilitate your work life. But if you look at leisure time as something truly good and truly valuable, to immerse yourself in things that you want to do. Leisure time is leisure time. The minute you make it study time, you then lose the message. No, leisure time has to be time for things that you enjoy. You have space, you'll have peace of mind, and then you can genuinely grow from a moral and spiritual standpoint. So we have a philosophy of life connected to Yasaha and how we look at leisure time. And we ended it off with relating it to Karl Marx. And I did this for two reasons. One, know your enemy. Simply speaking, if there's a worldview that you think is dangerous, appreciate why it's attractive, because then you can discuss it, and then you can have an opinion about it, and you can stand against it in a meaningful way. And secondly, because bad philosophies can have good ways of articulating valuable principles. Once again, have a wonderful Shabbos, a wonderful rest of your week, and if you could give this a like or a star on whatever podcasting platform you use, it would be greatly appreciated. Have a wonderful day.